Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Will Metro's possible department store exit impact SBH Street and Fraser's uh, Commercial Trust? DBS Research thinks so. We asked Gabriel Yap, chairman of GCP Global, to weigh in on which could feel more heat from Metro's possible exit. And then in earnings highlights, I look at Maple Tree Logistics Trust, Ascot REIT and ESR REITs. What do the numbers signal? Silver, hmm, you saw the headlines, right? Silver's been the target of intense speculative buying in recent days. What is next for the precious metal? I was reading Goldman Sachs' report that said the Reddit-obsessed investors would just not be able to force a short squeeze in the precious metal. We uncover the reasons why. And speaking of precious, you've heard our next guest say he's bullish on China tech stocks. So buy, sell or hold. We take a look at what is on Gabriel Yup's list. Hopefully, he gives us a show full of ninja insights into investing. How are you, Gabriel? As always, very good, Michelle, when speaking to you. <laughs> All right, let's start with the big story of the day. DBS Group Research says between SPH REIT and Fraser Centerpoint Trust, SPH REIT is likely to see greater possible impact from Metro Holdings' potential exit of its department store business. Um, so where do you stand? So I'll give some of the reasons to the listeners. Metro has two department stores with a couple of years left on the lease at SPH REIT's Paragon and uh, FCT's Causeway Point, where it stands as an anchor tenant. Now, DBS says exposure appears to be material for Paragon. That's a key asset for SBH Reed. Metro's department store occupies, it says, a cold corner, part of the mall where there's less traffic. And so having an anchor tenant to continue operating at that space is necessary to pull traffic. Uh, the F- For FCT, the team sees income risk being further minimized with the contribution from a PGIM portfolio. It also believes it will be easy to find a new anchor tenant should Metro exit because the department store occupies a relatively desirable part of the mall, levels one to three, with very good frontage. Weigh in, Gabriel. What do you think? Well, it's pretty obvious that the impact would be greater for SPHV, um, simply because Paragon is their flagship store. Mm-hmm. And essentially, uh, Metro actually occupies quite a substantial portion of what they have right now. Um, whereas for Fraser Center Point Trust, the impact is really minimal because uh, it is not something that's actually new. Uh, the demise or upcoming uh, uh, demise of what we call concession and big departmental store shopping uh, has become very apparent since the collapse of Robinsons and proud to that uh, some other companies doing the departmental store business. So uh, speaking to the REIT, FCT, they have already anticipated this and mm. already they have uh, calculated that they need to reconfigure uh, if Metro or other departmental stores leave. All right, so this is inevitable. Uh, and we're just... Are we expecting to see more of this and, you know, um, you know, the leaving of anchor tenants in malls? 
Um, that's been the trend, not only just in Singapore, Asia, but it's actually the rest of the world. Um, so in the U.S., the situation is worse uh, because you have people uh, of the fundamental stores like J.C. Penney, Bloomingdale's, you know, going down the drain. You know, so their space. Ironically, is actually taken out by the people that are displacing the departmental stores. So that is actually an e-commerce place like Amazon. They're actually taking up the spaces from there. How strange. Online coming to brick and mortar. Yeah. Hmm. My goodness me. So, I mean, as an investor in the REIT space, do you look at this as a trend that could impact the stocks you hold? Um, as an investor, you must always be looking at the key factors on a very dynamic basis. Mm-hmm. So when we actually teach in our various investment classes, uh, we actually analyze the key variables that affect earnings going forward for the REIT. Yep. More importantly, we will try to inform investors way in advance of these warning signals before they happen. So, for example, in this case, for departmental staffs, concessionary uh, kind of space impact on retail rates. Yeah. Really something that we have forewarned a couple of years ago. Couple of years ago. Indeed. Wonderful. Great to hear. Uh, talk about forward looking. Um, let's look at earnings results then, since uh, this is something that is so key for a retail investor in SREITs. After garnering some $1.2 billion in net inflows in 2020, Singapore SREITs continue to see retail interest early this year. Um, if we looked at not just net retail inflows, I'm sure that's just one of the metrics you look at when discerning between SREITs. REITs, but there were 10 S-REITs with the largest net retail inflows in 2021 year-to-date, totaling some $88 million. Um, given the earnings results, Gabriel, what stands out in terms of possible best and possible worst performers for this year? Well, uh, once again, in our past investment classes, we have guided our students on what are likely to perform well for this year and next year uh, and, and not perform well. So let me just give you a rundown. Um, essentially, what we've summarized in our past investment classes and therefore help investors to position before this happens is the fact that the trend that has actually started from COVID-19, that is actually the trend from um, offline to online will actually benefit the industrial retailers. So here, Data center companies like uh, MIT, Capital DC, uh, the big industrial players like MLT and uh, and uh, Ascenders Reed are key beneficiaries. You can see that very clearly in the results. For example, Ascenders Reed just came out with the results. Even though they yesterday, even though they grew the number of shares issued by ten percent, can you imagine, uh, Michelle, mm. that the results in terms of DPU was flat? You know, for most of the other REITs, this would have been a substantial 10% decrease. You know, so this means that the NPI increase mm-hmm. was more than sufficient to offset the dilution arising from the new shares. You know, so these are the kind of little trades that we see that actually puts this kind of REITs far above, you know, the others that are actually underperforming. See, so whereas if you look at the other end of the spectrum, we mm. are actually quite cautious of REITs. They're only exposed to, say, one particular tenant. So, for example, um, newly listed elite commercial REIT is, uh, you know, it's not a REIT that we actually like, you know, more because of its exposure to one particular tenant. Granted that it may 
uh, it is a, the British government, you see. But a lot of possibilities can happen now, as mm. you have seen with COVID-19. So this is a kind of reach that we tend to avoid in our investment portfolios. We're hearing great insights from Gabriel Yap. He's chairman of GCP Global. Let's take a look at Maple Tree Logistics Trust. Does it fall into the um, possible best performance list for you, given that it reported 15% uh, growth in gross revenue and NPI respectively, sorry, for NPI is 14.9%, I should say. Um, distributable amount for unit holders up 10.2%. And overall, we are ex- also expecting demand for warehouse space to be relatively resilient. What do you think of Maple Tree Logistics Trust? Well, I love the stock. You know, I think essentially for GCP Global students, we have been telling them that this is a stock that will write on number one, e-commerce. Uh, two, basically warehousing space that are actually growing in demand uh, to, for e-commerce. Three, uh, due to logistics exposure, uh, if you actually look at the likes of Alibaba, JD.com in uh, China, you can see that they are not only just using their own logistics, they are outsourcing to third-party logistics like Zactio, SF Express. And these are the kind of logistic companies that uses the space you know, that Maple Tree Logistics Trust actually have in Hong Kong, Vietnam and uh, China. And granted that essentially, um, most REITs actually work with their suppliers, in this case, uh, uh, SF Logistics as, as well as Zactio, when they expand to, say, Vietnam, you know, and they expand in Vietnam because, say, Shopee actually opens up and go in big in Vietnam or Indonesia, there is a follow-through impact. You know? So that's the kind of REITs that will benefit from this e-commerce trend. Absolutely fascinating. Can we also look at Ascot Residence Trust, ART? Their distribution per stapled security fell 52% to 1.99 cents for half year ended December 31st, 2020. Compare this with 4.18 cents just a year ago. The decline said to be mainly due to lower revenue from the group's existing portfolio and post the divestment of Somerset Liang Court, Singapore and Somerset West Lake Hanoi. Um, where does this sit on your list? Um, it was an opportunistic buy for many of our investors. You know, when we got in at about 75 cents, 80 cents at the trolls of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh-huh. But then it actually jumped up to 110. So mm. we actually have taken some of the profits simply because, mm. um, you know, when the results came out, it sort of like clearly exemplified what we have worn earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so one was the fact that uh, the master leases uh, within the portfolio did, that will deliver on the earnings and therefore the DPU, you know, for Ascot Reed, which they did. You know, two is that uh, they are still likely to be a, be affected by further delays in opening up international travel. Yes. So I think right now everybody is basically saying that, oh, it will be in the first half of this year. Now it looks more like second half, mm. you know. And even if it actually opens up, it is going to be a very limited basis. So while Escort is positioned to benefit, it may be too early. Mm-hmm. And as you can see, since we sold the share, mm. the share price has actually fallen from 110 to 105. Yes. You know, so uh, of course, I mean, we don't expect it to go back to about 75, 80 cents as what we saw in March last year. But I think uh, the next uh, opportunistic buy for escort rate will be something that we'll be watching closely 
Opportunistic buys. We love the ring of that on this show. <laughs> All right, let's look at ESR REIT. Um, you know, since that failed merger with Serbana, people are asking what's next for it. ESR REIT's Q4 core DPU increased 5.9% quarter on quarter to 0.741 cents, showing signs of stabilization. Uh, what do you make of ESR REIT? Well, I think ESL REIT uh, falls within the rock and hard place. So mm-hmm. they are neither a very big REIT, neither they are they a very small REIT. So essentially, they have delivered on your earnings. I think the management basically has to be given credit to, for guiding the REIT through mm-hmm. uh, you know, this difficult time. And it's quite heartening that for the shorter term, they are likely to stay just Singapore-based REIT. So yeah. um, essentially, the, the AEIs that they are doing in UET, that business tech park, ESR uh, business tech park, I think will flow through into the earnings in the next couple of quarters. So you expect industrial market rents to stay soft? Uh, it will stay soft. They only, because most people are, or most industrial landlords are trying to keep occupancies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, which means that for the shorter term, they will just take a, a concession on the rental renewal. So do not expect rental renewal rate to be strong. Right. But I think they, uh, but at the same time, do not be too pessimistic that occupancy will fall off. I think the occupancies will stay close to what they have at the pre-COVID levels, which means, therefore, that the EPU, DPU stability will be there, mm-hmm. but do not expect fabulous growth. All right. Speaking of opportunistic buys, silver has been the target of intense speculative buying in recent days. But Goldman Sachs believes the Reddit-obsessed investors will not be able to force a short squeeze on the precious metal. Strategists say a short squeeze is unattainable and regulations have made it nearly impossible for someone to corner the silver market. Uh, they point to an infamous squeeze back in 1980 where the Hunt brothers were able to acquire a third of the world's supply of silver and they drove the price up by 713% in three weeks. But they say it's nearly impossible now for someone to corner the silver market and that in the current environment, a coordinated surge in investment by retail traders in the silver market is simply going to raise volatility and generate small regional dislocations in supply-demand dynamics. What is next for the precious metal, Gabriel? Well, first and foremost, take a step back, Michelle, and mm. look at how silver performed. Silver I was actually trading at $12 at the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic in March last year. And then it actually raised up to $22. And for the last six months since August of last year, they have traded between 22 on the support level and $30 on the up level. So if you're a trader, you'll notice that essentially once the Reddit guys that went in after GameStop AMC, it mm. came after silver, you notice that silver actually started to trudge up this week from $22 close to $30. I think if you're a trader, you're just watching to see whether trade the $30 may be broken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so essentially, that's on the trading aspect. But on the fundamental aspects, one has to ask whether $30 be broken mm-hmm. is due to one, hectic frenzy, or is it because there's a huge, suddenly a huge demand for silver? You know, so if suddenly a huge demand of silver comes across, mm-hmm. then I'll be scratching my head. You know, uh, I need to keep some hair for Chinese New Year. So I think 
<laughs> you know, uh, I don't want to be scratching too hard, you know, to ensure whether thirty dollars be broken or not. But because the tr- what I'm trying to say is that the trading dynamics is one thing, mm-hmm. but please understand that silver, like any commodities, has to be linked to the fundamental demand and supply of it. So thirty dollars is the effective um, uh, leveling point for you. Uh, right now, is actually the key resistance that most traders are looking at. So, mm-hmm. uh, as a focus of interest, we will be using this as a benchmark to actually to see whether it will be broken or not. Okay. Um, do you expect any curbs on silver trading, as we saw with the Reddit crowd for GME? Um, the the thing is that for, for when you trade silver, you can actually trade at the CBOT exchange. You don't need to use a platform like, say, Robinhood. Mm. Robinhood actually is not a stock exchange. Yep. I mean, it is actually just buying spaces from Citadel Securities that actually is uh, facilitating this particular platform as if uh, Robinhood or Reddit is actually one of the trading clients. See? So in this case, you know, the curbs can come on a private basis as what Elon Musk have actually come off the, you know, uh, Robinhood Very, and say, mm. look, you know, you guys certainly just impose a curb. Mm. What is there, see, you know? So, but this is a private company, so they can, like, like, like what they have done, mm. do anything they think actually fits what they are trying to achieve. So right. that actually underlies long-term credibility of the company. And that we as investors have to be able to assess. Right. Isn't that, that conflict of interest? I mean, are they there to is. help the democratization and access to markets for the little guy? Or are they there to maintain ties with Citadel? Precisely. You know, so if you actually look at the explanation given by the uh, CEO, it certainly doesn't gel with what they have said earlier. Yep, I absolutely agree with that one. Okay, uh, let's move now from silver to what has been precious on your list for a while. You've spoken on this show about tech stocks, gaming stocks in China. It's 2021. We hope for an Ang Pao from Gabriel. Yep. So what is on your buy, sell and hold list, Gabriel? Then let me share with you essentially how we actually came about because mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year I managed to triple my money in technology stocks over yeah. three years. I remember. So, Neo was part um, of it. Essentially, right? yes. Mm. Um, so we shared that the key stocks that we actually hold in the portfolio, like Tencent, this is actually evident in our write up. So your viewers can go to our website and look at our detailed write up, you know, because we are holders of Tencent for the last decade. You know, NetEase. Um, JD.com as well as Alibaba. Mm. You know, so essentially for this coming year, we think that this stocks will continue to ride up. You know, so these are the ones that will continue to deliver you mm-hmm. the key bounce, whether it's online, e-payment, or actual physical cash. You know, that's what WeChat Pay does for you. You know, but more importantly is that this mm-hmm. year it's going to be exciting. For example, this Friday we're going to have Quaiso. Quaiso, the interpretation in English mm. is quick hand. See, mm. so uh, as you, the IPO price is at 115, you know, we are already giving allocations, um, you know, for our portfolio, you know, and we are just happy to see how it opens this particular Friday because we think that mm. we're going to make uh, a good tidy sum, you know, on quite so, you know, but mm. more than that, the Hong Kong market this year is going to be juvenile by the secondary listings of, say, Bilibili, as well as actually uh, Baidu, you know. So for more of that, you know, that will enhance your wealth because we 
believe that we can still triple our wealth, you know, in technology stocks. All right, let's move to uh, Alibaba. Strong online sales helped it beat Wall Street expectations for the third quarter. You know, I just want to ask you: we've we've seen Alibaba's uh, cloud division profitable for the first time, and it is resuming its effort to raise five billion US dollars in the bond market. At the same time, we know that. The company is facing Chinese regulatory scrutiny. Jack Ma has hardly been seen in public. Um, we have another sign of Jack Ma's fall from grace. He's been left off uh, a key list, apparently, on the Chinese uh, front pages of the Chinese newspapers, state-run newspaper. Um, all the other tech giants were named except Jack Ma. So are you, are you still bullish on Alibaba? Uh, yes, for the company prospects. In fact, last night when they announced the earnings, they continued to beat the market expectations. Mm. Um, I think one has to understand, you know, that the the Alibaba of present day is no longer just Jack Ma per se or her person, mm. see, but uh, persona. Mm. See? Yeah. I mean, much as uh, most of the press and the media likes to make out of it. Mm. I think when we analyze a big company like Alibaba, Alibaba market cap, despite its fall by 30%, you know, it's still doing at 700 billion US. So in terms of the big tech, you know, you are talking about number one, Apple, number two, Microsoft, number three, Amazon, Alibaba is like seven or eight. So they are like half the market size of Amazon. So essentially, they cannot... this company is no longer just about one particular company. So if you look at the cloud computing side, which is delivering 60% growth, that is a huge market upside, particularly with Alibaba Cloud occupying 41% of cloud computing in China. The next one is actually Tencent Cloud. Tencent Cloud is only 16% of market share. You know, So this area is going to be a key growth area, and that's why in this quarter set of results, Google, for the very first time, will be announcing Google Cloud's results separate from the rest. Yeah. I guess you're right. You know, you can't personify a company and that's what people do. But I think it's also symbolic. You know, Jack Ma's absence, it's symbolic. And people are wondering what the future is of this business since the f- the businessman himself, his future remains unclear. Do you know? Uh, I certainly do not know because if I do know that I'm God. No, no, no. <laughs> as, in, as in the parallels, uh, if we don't know where Jack Ma is, can but, we really know about anything about the future of this company with Chinese regulators? For example, back the backlash derailed its record IPO, $35 billion IPO. So we don't know what Chinese regulators are going to be prompted to do. I mean, is that a factor that needs to be considered when you think of projecting the future of this company and putting your money in it? Um, for us, what we are very clear about on Alibaba is its continued dominant presence in China, mm-hmm. which will continue to spread to the other aspects of Asia and the rest of the world. So if you actually look at the episode from 2nd of November when N was actually dish, uh, the NIPO was dished up mm-hmm. and then uh, speculation on uh, on the Jack Ma actually surface, you know, it, you notice that essentially the business segment that's basically China, that's the logistics aspect, Alibaba as in basically Taobao, Tmall Express, Tmall International, AliExpress, this is the international aspects. You notice that brands like basically your uh, Christine Lobotin, you know, brands like Gucci are still buying up, you know, the Tmall luxury 
space within the, the website. You see, so uh, what you're seeing on the business aspects is growing. You know, mm. so but if you want to be pessimistic because of these problems on Jack Ma, which you and I don't have the answer, then mm-hmm. that's another aspect of investing that you 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 may miss out. You know, mm-hmm. on the share price, mm-hmm. which is selling at uh, seventeen times the base on two zero two three numbers. This is the cheapest by far since it went for IPO. Strong words there from Gabriel. Yep. Okay, we must end with um, this piece of news. A Thai industrial estate developer, Amata Corporation, has said it is going to be slowing down its real estate investment in an industrial complex in Myanmar's largest city, Yangon, because there are worries about unrest following the coup. So do you expect investors to exit Myanmar because of that coup, Gabriel? Uh, yes, I think it's quite unfortunate that the coup has actually uh, uh, regained strength, which means that the uh, the military is back in place. Um, so the likes of Yuma Strategic, which I actually helped list the company say, way back in, I think, 2005 or 2006, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's basically back to the woods, so to speak. See? So uh, the the Myanmar place, uh, the likes of through Yoma Strategic as well as basically some of the listed companies in Singapore with uh, Myanmar presence. I think that will be quite heavily hit uh, in the short term because I would expect that in the very short term, the amount of uncertainty in terms of reporting, business approvals, uh, granted that the the, the general now currently is not very business uh, uh, friendly. See, so I would expect a lot of delays in terms of be it actually launching a power plant, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it will be. I would be very cautious, and I would actually avoid that market totally. All right, great words there, Gabriel Yap, Chairman of GCP Global, joining us in Money and Me. Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.